We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to the first All 80s Movies Podcast, the movie podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey back in time through 80s movies is Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Bill, dead or alive, you are coming with me. What's up, Bill Bant? What is going on, Jason? Uh, welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. Of course, this is our first episode. And I uh, just wanted to give a quick little background on Jason and myself. Jason and I have known each other close to 30 years now. What? Yep. We were both uh, film majors at the University of Miami. And I was working on my first student film and was looking for some actors. And a mutual friend of ours put us together. And Jason started my first film called The Dead View. And uh, we worked on projects ever since. After all this time, every time we get together, all we talk about is movies. And we decided, hey, let's do a podcast. Yeah, it's about damn damn time. I mean, we're really overdue. Today's movie is 1987's sci-fi action film, RoboCop, starring Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Kurtwood Smith, and Ronnie Cox, directed by Paul Verhoeven. The movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 42 minutes. It was nominated for two Oscars for Best Sound and Best Film Editing and won a Special Achievement Award for Sound Effects Editing. Hell yeah. Um, so the first thing we'll uh, talk about is what is this movie about? If you were growing up in the 80s, uh, most of the movies you would get, you'd go to your local mom and pop video stores and you would look at what was on the back of the box. So our first segment, we call it What's on the box? So if you picked up the RoboCop VHS in the store, this is what you would probably see on the back. There's a new law enforcer in town, and he's half man, half machine. When a good cop gets blown away by some ruthless criminals, innovative scientists and doctors are able to piece him back together as an unstoppable crime-fighting cyborg called RoboCop. Impervious to bullets and bombs and equipped with high-tech weaponry, RoboCop quickly makes a name for himself by cleaning up the crime-ridden streets of violence-ravaged Detroit. But despite his new hardened exterior, RoboCop is tormented by scraps of memory of his former life and relives vivid nightmares of his own death at the hands of the vicious killers. Now he is out to seek more than just justice. He wants revenge. RoboCop. RoboCop. I just, I can't say that enough. Everybody now. Okay. Moving on. Let's grade it, man. Yeah, let's let's grade that uh, little synopsis from what's on the box. I myself would give it an A. Um, I think it pretty much encapsulates the movie. Um, it is about a cop who um, unfortunately gets uh, gunned down by a, a gang of killers. 
and uh, gets rebuilt as a cyborg crime fighting machine. So I think it sums up pretty good. I would give it an A. How about you, Jason? Bill, I'm right there with you. I'm going to give it a solid A, a rock solid A, a RoboCop solid A. For sure, it sums it up really nicely. It covers all the bases. I mean, could you go more into depth? Of course. Could you do a deeper dive? Of course, but it's not necessary for uh, something like this. Uh, That explains it right there. Solid A, man. Yes. If I if I picked this up at the at the video store, which which I did um, at the time, it was a hard R, um, and I was only a teenager back then. And, and the big thing about that movie was how violent it was. Right. Hell yeah. They had to go back uh, to submit it a couple of times to get that R rating uh, because of the violence. Do you have a, a earliest memory of the film, Jason? Earliest memory is just in direct correlation to that rating. I remember that this film had initially gotten an X rating. And as a kid, I was just then immediately curious, what does that mean? How violent could it possibly be? How scary could it be for a sci-fi action thriller? You know, this, uh, this cop movie. And um, so, gosh, I was 13, 14 years old, freshman in high school, or about to be a freshman in high school. I just could, you know, word of mouth had spread and I'd heard about the sequence where Alex Murphy gets murdered by the vicious killers and he gets his hand blown clean off by a shotgun. So, you know, spoiler alert, right? No, there was no such thing back then. It was spoiled for me, but that freaked me out as a kid. Like I was like nervous. I was excited to see the film because I'd seen some of the images and it just looked so cool. So as a 13 year old boy, I'm going, this is, yeah. In my out, this is in my wheelhouse. This is right up my alley. But I'm nervous about this violence because this is going to freak me out. So that was my earliest memory. I remember getting on my phone in my basement and uh, Lindenhurst, Illinois, talking to my my other uh, nerd friends that just wanted to see the latest sci-fi, you know, movie, and uh, just talking about, oh, did you hear how violent it was? It's supposed to, you know, it got an R rating, but initially had an X rating. Yeah, I can't wait to see this thing and what it's, you know, you know, I keep, I just kept hearing how violent it was, but also how great it was. Honestly, the word of mouth had spread that it was just really, really cool movie because uh, it had gotten uh, pretty positive reviews. That was that. And then, you know, when I finally did see it, it was probably it was either on VHS or like HBO or one of those premium channels back then which HBO was pretty much the only one, maybe that in Showtime. But uh, yeah, then I find, so I definitely did not see it in the theater. But then when I did see it, I was, yeah, impacted by the violence for sure that, you know, uh, had an effect on me. But other than that, I just thought it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. I thought everything about it from the look of it, the design of it, the, the soundtrack, the, it's such a quotable film. It's one of my favorites of all time. I don't even even call it a cult favorite. It's just one of my favorite films of all time. How about you, Bill? What what do you what are your early uh, memories? Yeah, I, I remember. I, you know, I wasn't allowed to see it as a kid, and I just remember Entertainment Tonight, and it was basically one of the only few shows that that talked about films. And all all they you know it's violent, it's violent, it's violent, it's violent. But you know, seeing the poster of you know RoboCop getting out of the car and and the the TV trailers, you're just like, oh man, this looks so cool. I I can't wait till I get to see it and I do remember an older kid in my neighborhood seeing it and saying how much he loved it and how great it was and you know 
kind of tell him a little bit about what it was about. And I was like, Oh, I just can't wait to see it. And then, um, yeah, I finally, I saw it on, on rental. Yeah. I was just, was just blown away by it because a little pun there. <laughs> it really was violence wise, something you had never really seen. I mean, for me at that point on film and even going back to rewatch that for this podcast, right. I, I was a little anxious again to go back to, to watching the Alex Murphy scene. That's just how impactful it was. Let's, exactly. Let's get into that for a second. I'd like to do that uh, now that you, you talk about it. Please finish your thought there. I didn't want to interrupt. It's just crazy how, you know, and we will get into the discussion how the violence is used in this film because there's a scene before that where violence is almost used as humor. Right. And then you get into that scene with Alex Murphy and it's, you want to look it's away. Brutal. Yeah, because of how brutal it it is the research of the film and how much they had to cut out to get that and how much worse that would have been, um, you know, seeing the violence on there, uh, seeing him laying in a pool of his own blood, actually seeing the the hand shooting across the screen and stuff right. like that. It's just, you know, when you think about this movie, the first thing you think about is, is the violence. And then there's a scene near the end of the film where one of the characters gets doused in toxic waste and yeah. you know melts gets, right basically <laughs> melts and then gets smashed by a car but i remember watching it on vhs and then fast forwarding forwarding it just to see how that scene was done because it was so you know like oh my god just someone just literally just obliterates on the screen like that um, yeah so oh yeah just, completely yeah so it's just weird how the violence there's almost like three different types of violence in that film that was just so compelling and fascinating and it just you know it just never leaves you you just always remember it i mean when you talk about the, that's the first three scenes you go to right away when you when you think right. about this movie without question bill and the fact that you began the discussion on this with saying that you were still anticipating those scenes in this film today so many years later just proves the point of how impactful it was, especially as for me, again, yeah, a teenage boy seeing this, uh, highly anticipating those scenes before first seeing them and then just still being so supremely affected by them because they are a combination of horrific and grotesque and disgusting and, yes, comedic at times. It's such a strange combination at times. Again, I, I still I'm still jarred by the images because uh, for those of, the, of those of you listening to this podcast that have not seen Robocop, uh, the film takes place in a dystopian future in Detroit City. And Alex Murphy is a cop which is new, who is new to this particular department in a rather violent part of Detroit. And he's gunned down by these ruthless criminals. And we see it. They show everything. It's, there's no uh, fancy cutting away. And one of the stark images is the uh, one of the lead gangsters, if you will, the lead criminal, uh, criminal Clarence Boddicker, points a shotgun right at his hand and blows his hand clean off. And you see the whole thing. And it's it's shocking and disturbing. Then they just riddle him with bullets and shotgun holes. And they he, they blow. I forgot about this, Bill. They blow his arm clean off. Mm-hmm. And one of the shots like it, it's and he's screaming and he's alive the entire time. And it's upsetting. Let's just put it that way. It's extremely upsetting. But does it, it works in a strange way because then I'm immediately 
sympathetic and they really paints the picture for you, if you will, uh, for lack of a better expression, that these guys are bad guys and they're sadistic. You want to see RoboCop exact his revenge. That's, I mean, you really do. So here's the other thing that I was thinking about, Bill, is the fact that because it was the time that it came out and there weren't films that were quite like this with scenes quite like that uh, violent. And because I was younger, it had a, a, an impact on me versus had, had I seen it if I were older, more mature, uh, digesting it, processing the violence in a different way. But can you think of other films since then or around that time or even since then as an adult that has had an impact on you because of its violence. I would have to say like right off the bat would pop my head was, would be saving pie Ryan, just the the opening uh, storming. Yeah. Because I was trying to think of other films like that. And there are numerous ones, of course, but uh, again, maybe it was because of the age I was when I first saw RoboCop that it has that lasting effect. Well, I think about it too. Like, you know, you think about the television we were watching then, where it's like the 18 in Miami vice where it was violent. But like an A team, you know, they blow up cars, all this stuff, and no one ever died. They always walked away. You never saw any blood. And then even my advice, my advice, they'd shoot somebody who never saw the blood splatter, though. Exactly. Like once, Maybe. once in a while, once in an episode, yeah. you're like, oh my god, there's actual blood. But I'm trying to think. Yeah, other films where you go, oh, it has that that brutal scene in it, you know. And immediately for me, uh, American History X is one of those films. Because oh, okay. Yes. Scene. Yes. That, yeah, uh, that's, that's like, if, if somebody says that the title of that film, that's my first thought. Mm-hmm. It's such a brutal sequence. It's horrific. But anyway, yeah. um, there's a lot of other positive things we could talk about from this film, but that is one of the, I mean, it's a signature of this film is the violence. I mean, without a yeah. doubt. So we're going to talk about a positive then we'll jump into um, the actor who played RoboCop, Peter Weller. Hell yeah, yeah. I thought did an amazing job as RoboCop. You know, I was listening to the DVD uh, commentary on it with Paul Verhoeven, and he was talking about, you know, the things he was looking for in an actor portray this, and uh, it was kind of funny. The first thing was um, a good chin, um, because, you know, in, in the suit, that's all you, you see half the film is, you know, nose down. So he's like, he had to have a singular chin. He had to be a good actor. And he, yeah, had, he had the right jawline. The jawline, Yes. And um, he had to be thin and athletic. It definitely Peter Weller fit all three. And just the work he did in that costume or outfit or whatever you want to call it was just amazing. I mean, you, I was bought that this guy was a cyborg going around and stealing justice. 100%. 100%. He was excellent. And he did do this without suffering, having to wear that suit. We'll get into it more about that with the fun facts and trivia portion of this podcast. So stay tuned. But his performance in that suit is excellent because you know what I'm going to uh, make a, an analogy to actually is uh, to Pedro Pascal and uh, the other actors that portray the Mandalorian, because the, obviously the Mandalorian is covered in a completely covered in a mask the entire time. This face is totally covered yet through subtle movements portrays particular uh, motions and insinuates thoughtfulness or just uh, different expressions without even seeing his face. Now we see part of RoboCop's, we see part of the lower half of Peter Weller's face as RoboCop, 
but through his actual movements, we are let in as to what he's thinking, what he's feeling. And, um, he's able to relay all of that and, uh, not an easy thing to do. So I, I bought it hook, line and sinker that there was, that this wasn't just, he did, he, it's the man inside of the machine, part man, part machine, all cop. That's the poster. Yeah. Uh, it- but, uh, literally, but that's it. Like he, he portrayed like 50, 50, the entire time he did all the robotic movements perfectly, which I imitated all the time as a kid. Love doing that. The walking, the hands, uh, mechanical, uh, you know, stutter movements. But then at times his facial expression would change. Um, for instance, you and I talked about the sequence when he goes back home and he's upset as the mem- memories start coming back and he purses his lips and he does, he's kind of twisting, literally twisting. And you can feel, you can sense he's twisting internally because some of the emotions that are attached to the memories that are returning and it's all comes across beautifully. Yeah, I agree. I commend Peter Weller. Yeah. It's, I mean, he starts out as a robot and then you see the humanity trying to break its way through that suit of armor and trying to deal with coming to grips of who he is now and what he used to be. And, uh, right. That's a big theme in the movie. Yeah. And uh, I think he does an, an excellent portrayal of it. I mean, you're only getting glimpses of what you used to be and you're trying to put that all together. And still at the same time, there's a revenge factor now because they've taken away everything that you've had or what you can remember that you had. That's what makes it work too. He's just not a robot that goes around gunning down people. He's a a robot trying to get a conscience and there's a, there's a, a reason more behind what, what he is doing. Totally. Yeah. There's, that's the motivation. I mean, obviously it is a revenge film on, on what level. But to watch him go through the process, as you said, come going from machine to then developing the humanistic qualities as they come back to him. There's a couple different moments, not just the moment when he goes back and visits uh, the home uh, where he lived with his wife and son previous to the is now existing as Robocop. But there's uh, because we understand that when he gets these memories, he starts having the visions of his own death. And that's how he starts Putting, piecing it together, who it was that killed him. And he puts together Clarence Boddicker and the gang, Leon, I think it's Joe Cox and Emil and, and those, those guys. And he's angry. So we get it. He's angry. He's going to go out for revenge. But there are moments where, and this is again where I commend Peter Weller, is you can see, you see the, he's making the connections and also there's a thoughtfulness behind it. There's He's he's uh, there's a comprehension that comes across, and it's a, such a subtle thing. You see the Mandalorian as well. That's why I, I don't mean to keep going back to that, but in particular, and I'll bring this up in one of the favorite scenes is when he goes to the gas station to confront Emil, and Emil says, "Wait, I know you. We killed you." And when he says, "I know you. We killed you," and he plays he plays back the the video of that RoboCop does. He pauses, he freezes because he starts remembering. And it's just one of those impactful moments. And that the, that's part of 
Peter Weller's performance. I think it's smart filmmaking. It's good direction. Uh, it's a combination of all those things. But still, Peter Weller is is excellent because it's like, oh yeah, he's not just a robot walking around shooting people. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's also another great story that you know there's the cop element revenge story and then we have like our our corporate bad guy and the whole inner workings of, of the corporate world um you know because you have ocp that has taken over the detroit police force and they're trying to start these new um police programs and it was kind of funny seeing you know ronnie cox um as dick jones as the bad guy um because up until that point to me, Ronnie Cox was the cool police chief from Beverly Hills Cop. Another quintessential I, '80s film, absolutely. That's how exactly hundred percent. And Beverly Hills Cop too, where you're you, you're like, oh, and he's in the hospital in the sequel, and you're like, oh man, I hope Ronnie Cox gets better. You know, he's got you're rooting for him the whole time, and here he shows up as this Dick. Dick, literally, yeah. he's the his character name is Dick Jones. Exactly. How great is that? Exactly. <laughs> I was <laughs> laughing when I did this upon the you know, the rewatch. I'm going, oh my god, they, that's right. His name is actually Dick Jones, and they just Couldn't use it so on much. The nose, so on the nose, but it works. It does. Yeah, and I think I always love when you see a actor play such against character and so pull it off. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just great as that character, too. And you're just like, wow, it's just a side of him you've never seen before. You know, you think about those a cop and you think about like deliverance. And I'm like, no, he's, he's the good guy, every man. And now all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's like, he's the corporate asshole who is hoping to step in and, and run this company. And well, no surprise that he would play a very similar role in Total Recall, also directed by Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. Yeah, and pull that off brilliantly. He's yeah, it's so almost like he started a second career. You almost, you know, you go yeah. back and you look at like a, uh, you know, Leslie Nielsen who was, you know, played the straight guy, and then he gets into the Naked Gun, and all of a sudden he started Absolutely. a whole new career with the with the um, goofy comedies. And and Ronnie Cox almost did the same thing. He he just reinvented himself as the ultimate bad guy. I just have to commend for his performance. It's like you know when you watch the movie the first time, you're just so into the violence and 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 the, the special effects and all that kind of stuff. And then you go back and you really see what the actors did to to make this above a B level film. You know, because you, you know if you just said, "Hey, RoboCop is a guy," you you just think right away, "Oh, this is B level." But this isn't a film. I mean, on a B budget, but it it is an A film. It's a it's a credit to the actors for what they did with this material, and you you have your clear bad guys and your clear good guys, and you really root you know you really root for them. It's so important, Bill. Memorable villains, you gotta have them, and in a film like this, Ronnie Cox pulls it off. But props to Kurtwood Smith. Exactly. That, not only do you Monica, have one, you have two. You have a double bill. Yeah, absolutely. It's a double team. And they're both great. He's one of the first things that I think of, actually, Kurtwood Smith, that is, uh, when I think of Robocop. Because, A, he's the leader of the gang, and he commits a lot of the, the, the that ultraviolence we were referring to. But he's such an asshole. I mean, he's, he's evil through and through. And he originally was supposed to play Dick Jones. If, and I don't know if, the, it was, if Ronnie Cox was going to play Clarence or not, but, but I know... 
Kurtwood Smith was going to be Dick Jones, but then got the role of Clarence Boddicker and decided to don the glasses to make him look a little bit more, you know, intelligent that he's just got your, you know, run of the mill thug. And, uh, which was, I thought a great choice. He's, he's not a good guy and he's a great henchman doing Dick Jones's dirty work. And then Kurtwood Smith goes on to play some other iconic roles for me personally, like dead poet society as the, as the father. Uh, and then also in, uh, that 70s show he's wonderful oh yeah uh, he's he's a real talent i mean he's hilarious on that show uh, but in this i associate because he's a wonderful villain and again we'll yeah we'll get into it but uh that's what uh, part of again one of the positives about this movie which makes this iconic is that it has great it, good bad guys yeah and what's crazy about the clarence boddicker character is he has no redeeming qualities whatsoever he is 100% pure evil, but it works. Whereas, you know, you look at Ronnie Cox, he's kind of got the the shade of gray kind of thing, you know, because he kisses up to the boss, but he, then he kind of underplays them. Whereas Kurtwood Smith, he's he's bad through and through. There's not one frame where you don't think there's there's nothing redeeming about him whatsoever. Everything is just bad. You know, even when he goes visit Dick Jones and he starts hitting on the the secretary and with the you know everything he does in that movie is just bad gum on the uh, the nameplate. Yes, and it just totally works. He's just bad through and through. You look at Hans Gruber with Die Hard, where he it's funny because that's yeah another eighties quintessential yeah exactly eighties film where you have you just have an iconic villain yeah. But he's a he's a sophisticated bad guy. You know, he almost seems like someone that would be approachable, whereas no, not Clarence Boddicker. If you saw him in an alley, you're turning around and walking the other way. You know right away, like this guy's bad news. I need to get away from him. Yeah, so it's a great yeah, the casting is great, the actors are great. But yeah, you you know, a lot of some of the times these characters on on the page would look you know, like cookie cutter villains. So you, you have to give the actors credit here where they, they add a little something, especially with Kurtwood Smith. One of the little fun facts with that, one of the first scenes they shot with him is uh, after Robocop has thrown him through several panes of glass, dragging him into the precinct. And he comes up to the, the desk and they ask him to sign a particular document and he spits the blood onto the document. That was Kurtwood Smith's idea. And he just spits the blood right onto the piece of paper. And that right there is like, yeah, that's Clarence Boddicker. Bad through and through. We just and he, it's just memorable. It's just those little things, man. Just like you mentioned with Alan Rickman is is uh, Hans Gruber. He does little things that are. It's a nuanced performance that is memorable. That's all. Uh, do we want to get into uh, favorite scenes? Yeah, let's let's move on. All right, you want to go first? Your favorite scene in the movie. I, I don't I've got so many so many scenes that are memorable like so I like to call this particular segment scenes that blew my skirt up reference to the Marilyn Monroe uh, scene there but I'm looking at my list here there's so many I can try to for memorable scenes the the first time we see Ed 209 the enforcement droid 209 again impactful that's one that stayed with me because of the ultra violence I think you were alluding to this earlier Bill with a little bit of there's a little kind of a comedic effect in this, but it scared the hell out of me the first time because of the sound design and at 209's that deep uh, 
that tenor, like oh, yeah. resonant voice. Um, and uh, I used to imitate that all the time with the countdown and please put, you know, lower your weapon. He does the countdown and then he blows that, uh, the guy away and, and just keeps shooting him, just keeps shooting him. And there's a malfunction obviously. And he just keeps shooting him. Ultra violent favorite, other favorite scenes. When RoboCop is first coming online, you see everything from his point of view. Uh, I love that sequence when they're they're tweaking him and they're still making final touches, and you kind of see it's like a it's like you're looking through a computer monitor, and you see the technicians working on it. I just thought that was really smart. It's kind of interesting, as if you, the audience, now are in the suit yourself, as if you're looking through RoboCop's eyes as he's waking up. I thought that was a great way to kind of introduce him as RoboCop. Thought that was very smart. And it is funny because, you know, we talked about earlier how we met on um, my student film and I and I stole that shot for for the film, too, where, um, you know, one, one of our main characters gets killed and we see through the eyes of, of, of the dead person. And, yeah, I totally lifted that from RoboCop. Yeah, I, I love that. The sequence when RoboCop goes to the gas station to confront uh, Emil and Emil is busy taunting the, the attendant. I love that whole thing because it just cracks me. You think you're smart? You think, uh, yeah, you, uh, uh, do you think you could outsmart a bullet? And he's tapping the, the machine gun against the glass, taunting him. And then he blows up the gas station with Robocop there. And Robo starts walking after him, shoots him on the motorcycle, uh, or shoots the motorcycle itself, causing him to crash. But there's a great visual there with Robocop walking in the whole gas station explodes and you see the, the, the classic image of an explosion behind our hero as he's walking towards the screen, right? Oh yeah, that was the big the trailers that if you on TV, that was always the teaser on on TV commercials. It was that explosion. You'd kind of see him walking through it. And it's so cool, and you can tell it's real. And how many times, Bill, has that been done since? Or even maybe probably before. I'm not saying it was the first time it was ever done in cinema. That was, you know, we all, that's a that's the hero shot. One of the f- most famous hero shots is the explosion beside the hero being unscathed, emerging unscathed, almost as if it's the phoenix rising, right? Mm-hmm. It's that image. And it's classic. And we see it so many times now in cinema. And they just, they use CGI or whatever. Oh, that's so... Just fake flames. Oh, I know. They can never Either get the fake flames, flames right. Or the actor's not there, or the flames aren't there. They put it in post, and it just looks awful. But in this particular scene, it just works. You buy it, A, because he's in this metallic suit that is probably flame retardant anyway. But also, it's a guy in a suit walking through an explosion. Like You can tell it's real. And it's cool. And the explosion is magnificent. So I, I love that whole sequence. Why don't you name off a few and then I'll come back to mine. Yeah. I, I mean, I referenced one of mine earlier with the, with the whole thing with Emil getting the, uh, the nuclear waste. And um, I was always, fa- <laughs> I was always fascinated by that. It was, I wrote that down as Emil, the, uh, as the toxic Avenger. Yes, exactly. Just the, the makeup they had to do for that. And just the way he bites it. You know, to me, that was always just like, Oh man, because I at that point I had never seen anything like that before, and I was just totally fascinated by it. And just like I said earlier, I would literally freeze frame the scenes just to see what they did. 
I guess maybe if I did on the Blu-ray now, maybe I'd see a little bit more about a VHS. You know, it wasn't the greatest of quality, but it was it was it was just a fun scene to watch. And then um, I think the reveal of the gun. Oh yeah, is is awesome. I almost put that in there. Sure, which is everyone's is a target practice, and all you hear is just. And you you just see that that gun, and the target coming in is just blowing the crap out of that that target, and you're just like, whoa, that is cool. You you know, outside of seeing you know laser guns from you know the Star Wars films or sci-fi, I never saw someone use a gun like that before. So that, that gun was always right. fascinating. So speaking of the gun, uh, quick sidebar here. I'll just throw this in here if you don't mind. I'll jump to a, a little trivia. Go ahead. On that. So that gun is known as the Auto 9. It's a heavily modified Beretta M93R machine pistol. Uh, so they, the base of that weapon is the Beretta M93R machine pistol, but they built it up to make it larger so that it was, you know, a little bit more proportionate to Robocop himself. And it takes a 50 round magazine. Oh, that's cool. Because I was just about to ask you, how many bolts was in that thing? Because I yeah, mean, exactly. it sounded like it would always do shots of three, and especially when you go into the one scene where he jumps into the drug lab. I mean, Grant, you ever see him reload? But why do we want right. someone reload in the in the film anyway? And he's just blowing people away left or right. I'm like, I guess you need new bullets, but then you know maybe he reloads when cut away. We don't know, so. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I always wondered as a kid. Is like, when does he reload and how does he reload? And does he have magazines that are inside his leg? Right. You see the holster come out of his thigh, which is one of the coolest effects. Like, are there extra magazines that automatically reload? So he just needs to put the gun back into back the holster in that goes into his leg that reloads the mag- a new magazine, comes back out totally re- you know, ready to go. But that's kind of how I imagined it, right? Because they don't really show it or explain it. But again, it just it's cool stuff that they didn't need to necessarily show. It. You just go with it and you let your imagination run. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, to go back to like I mentioned that Ed 209 introductory, uh, the introductory scene uh, is one of my favorite scenes. The employee that that poor son of a bitch, Kenny, who uh, <laughs> they use as a uh, for the demonstration. Yeah. He is holding a desert eagle and uh, he points it at Ed 209. Ed 209 feels threatened and the demonstration ensues. Ed 209 malfunctions. But that desert eagle was originally supposed to be Robocop's gun. That was supposed to be Murphy's gun. But it wasn't big enough for Robocop. So they decided to use it in that demonstration scene instead. Yeah, and, and speaking of the ED 209, um, just the that life-size model that they did use in the film Anytime it moved, it was, you know, stop motion animation, but Mm -hmm. that was one cool looking thing. And then even watching it this last time, you know, watch on DVD and you get a more crisper image. Just even looking at it and you're like, I would love to see that thing in person because it looked pristine. That was really cool. Like, it's funny because, you know, you, you sometimes you know, go somewhere and you see props for movies and just see how like crappy they are. or They're just cardboard with whatever. But looking at that, I was like, man, it almost looked like they crafted that out of metal, whatever they used. And uh, right. it just looked great. And then for, for that size too, no force perspective or whatever, they built something that life size to, to mm-hmm. use in that film. So props to the prop department for uh, building that, that thing. It was badass. 
I, I was in love with the Ed 209, which is loosely based on a design from the Robotech. I think it was a comic series or something, or uh, animated series, also toy line at that time in the mid 80s. Yeah, that was one impressive droid. Uh, again, going into the sound design, not only the voice, which was voiced by John Davison, one of the producers of the film, actually. And Phil Tippett did some of the effects for Phil Tippett of Star Wars fame. Some, uh, some of the, I don't know if it was animatronics or anyway, regardless, it's an impressive piece of machinery. And again, to the sound design with the, they used uh, Jaguar sound effects to give it that roar that made it a lot more intimidating. And then when it finally uh, crashes down the stairwell and it's wiggling its legs and stuff, it's squealing. That was a pig squeal. Yeah, that I I did not get at all. I thought, yeah, I thought that was so weird. I'm like, why would a robot squeal like a pig? Well, why would a robot roar like a jaguar? That's Either, true too. They it's done purposefully because at least the roar, the roar is cool sense. though. Yeah, right. Cool. That's cool. Like, of course, it's supposed to be this enforcement short. It's supposed to intimidate the criminal, but why would it squeal? I don't know. I yeah. think that was one of those things for comic effect that just didn't uh, didn't quite work but it's it's uh it's funny and yeah the, the fight scene between robocop and ed 209 i, I kind of wish that was longer but i know you know with the budget limits and just trying to pull that off they may do with what they had and, and it does work i mean i don't know how much more they could have really done with it but to see them right. square off a little bit in the big in that first fight was uh was was definitely cool and it was kind of cool how they ended it with robocop at the end because it almost it almost harkened a little bit back to uh raiders of the lost ark where they square off and he just boom just blows them away one shot yes that's funny i almost brought up and made another raiders of the lost ark reference talking about melting faces with emil in the toxic waste i was going to say the only other time i remember uh, you know, being impacted by a melting face at the end of raiders of the lost ark that sequence between Robo and the Ed 209 is great. And then it, because that's such a great quote unquote, all is lost moment where he's really getting his ass kicked. He's getting his ass handed to him and it leads right into him, be the onslaught from the police officers, because the officers all think that at that point that RoboCop is supposed to be uh, destroyed, that he's gone off, you know, he's gone nuts and they got to take him out. And it's a great sequence, and you really yeah. feel you you feel sympathetic for Robocop. I mean, he really gets beat up. It was certainly uh, impactful watching it again because then you're really like, oh my god, here's a guy that's going to get gunned down twice mm-hmm. uh, within a span of a year, and you almost feel like, oh my god, he's you know going through this again. He's he's just getting memories of this happened to him before, and now he's like, holy crap, I'm going through this again. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's that's a good comparison. Yeah, that's I, I can appreciate that. And I always think of too when he finally he when the the cops are all shooting at him, and some of them are saying, "Don't no, you can't shoot him. He's one of us." Mm-hmm. And then uh, obviously Lewis comes in to save him at the at the last second. But when he's that type of like parking garage that he's in, oh, the, the rolling elevated, down the levels when he's yes. rolling off from one level onto the next one. Whenever I'm in a parking garage like that, that's what I think of. I oh think yeah, of that me too. All the time. All the that's time. That's how impactful this film is, Bill. Like I think of it like like <laughs> I, I do. I like do that. the same thing. Every too. time, I'm like, oh, I could roll under that little wire onto the next level. Exactly. 
Like, yeah, I'm like, oh, if someone tries to help me up here on the thing, I'm just going to roll off the level here onto the next thing and run away. I do the same exact thing. And then you, um, and we haven't even talked on, uh, about Lewis, who was played by Karen Allen, who was uh, Robocop's partner. Uh, Nancy Allen. Yeah. Nancy Allen, sorry. See, you're on Raiders Lost Ark. Exactly. It, yeah. <laughs> That's another show for a later time. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was cool because in a way it was almost a, a comeback for her in the early 80s. You know, she had done a, a couple of Brian De Palma films, then kind of just went away. And, you know, to see her kind of make the comeback with this film. And she does a great, she does a great job as, as the partner. Absolutely. I, I like her. I think she's very strong in the role. She's a great partner to Murphy. And the funny thing is, though, because she's uh, Nancy Ellen's an attractive woman that I personally only knew the actress from that film robocop and then after that uh out of sight she has a small role mm-hmm. and i remember seeing out of sight and she pops up in out of sight in 1998 and i was like oh my god that's nancy allen from robocop because that's the only thing i knew her from you're right. right obviously she did work before that with the brian de palm films and such but i didn't know her from from any of those I, yeah I just, see i i growing up in philadelphia i remember her from blowout because they shot that in philadelphia oh, and they made okay. such a big deal about yeah, yeah, that yeah. because okay. you know john javolta was just taking off then and that was you know uh his first film after maybe it was his that's first right film i after, have seen that yes yeah yes, yes. um saturday night uh, fever so i knew a little about her going in and yeah and she is uh she's a very attractive female but she's not sexualized in this film she's just straight up in the and that's the funny that's what i was going to say is being a coming in this is was a coming of age film for me being that i was in my early teens and going through some changes if you know what i mean bill mm-hmm. and i'll never forget watching this film this was my first uh i think visual introduction to coke horse and uh that's one of my scenes we'll get I'll, I'll tie that back into my favorite we'll get back to the favorite scenes scenes that blew my skirt up and uh speaking of yeah co you know girls in skirts the co corner scene with uh bob morton's death scene when he's doing coke off of very ample breasts mm-hmm. uh i'll I, that was impactful for me as a young teenage boy and also um gosh technician number one the woman with the glasses, the scientist who's working on RoboCop. I had the hugest crush. I still do. I watch it. I'm like, she's gorgeous. I love this technician. What's her name? Um, yeah, I have no I, idea who she is. Uh, Karen Radcliffe, I think it was her name. I think if I do you know anything else she was in? Uh, she was in DOA, the Dennis Quaid. Oh, okay. Uh, and something else. I know the movie, but don't a remember. photo her. on IMDb. Oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, come on. She's gorgeous in RoboCop. Uh, so technician number one, I had a crush on Murphy's wife in the memory flashbacks. Big crush on. I had a crush on the the women of the night. Let's just put put it that way. The working girls in that scene again, the Bob Morton death scene. But um, funny enough, Nancy Allen's the lead, and I didn't have a crush on her at all because, like you said, she was not sexualized at all. She's a very strong female. Uh, Carter, she's a cop. She's you know trying to do her job, and she. Kind of, she saves Murphy, you know, saves RoboCop. So obviously yeah. plays a big role. Uh, yeah, she's t- great. Nancy L is great. Yeah. In a way she almost saves him twice in the sense where he doesn't live the life as, a, as a, the cyborg where he kind of sparks him to recollect these memories and find humanity in him and then literally saves him 
um, when he's going to get done by the cops. So yes, yeah, yeah. she does definitely have a big uh, well part said. in this yeah. film. Yeah. Speaking of uh, coke whores, Bob Morton is celebrating. Uh, he's basically won the day by introducing the RoboCop program. RoboCop is successful, and he's superseded Dick Jones. And but little does he know that Dick Jones gets you know has hired Clarence Boddicker to come to his house and murder him. So the scene is Bob Morton with the cocaine and the prostitutes living it up. But then Clarence Boddicker shows up, puts a grenade on the table with the timer, shoots Bob Morton four times, twice in each leg. It's brutal. Again, more ultraviolence that had an impact on me because it just looks totally painful. And then insult to injury, literally salt on the wood, like puts the grenade on the table with the timer where he can't reach it because now he's been incapacitated his legs have been shot up it's a brutal scene but that one stays with me always and there's a great track from the bezel uh polydorus uh, soundtrack and it's called clarence frags bob and it's a great building musical sequence that crescendos funny enough i used that track from that scene in a high school video project oh really it's an action sequence and I love that piece of music and it leads up to an explosion. And in the high school video, it's myself and a couple of my high school friends. It's very cheesy. It's terrible. And, but then it, the, the sequence uses that music builds up and it cuts away to an, ex, I needed an explosion and I cut from the video on me to a scene from Die Hard, the building exploding uh, when uh, Bruce Willis sets off the, the C4 explosives on the, the desk chair that he sends down the elevator oh, shaft. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. But I used the piece of music, Clarence Frags Bob, from the RoboCop official soundtrack, which is from, yes, one of my favorite scenes when Bob Morton exits. Moving on, uh, another one of my favorite scenes, RoboCop taking out the cocaine lab, going to the coke that warehouse. It's a great action sequence. And one of my favorite lines, when he breaks down that door, when he breaks down the door, come quietly or there will be trouble. And then throwing Crunch Boddicker through the glass window panes a few times. And Boddicker basically saying, you can't kill me. You know, you're a cop. And one of those great Peter Weller moments when he pauses and he says, yes, I am a cop. And then my last uh, scene, the finale with RoboCop taking out Dick Jones. It's so great. I, I love it every time. I yell. I kind of have to scream it out every time when it's just, his. It's just known as the old man. Mm-hmm. The, the the actual CEO says, "Dick, you're fired." And yeah. RoboCops, thank you, and yeah. just shoots Dick Jones, and he goes flying through the window. But one of the reasons why I love that finale. So much is not just because of that sequence, but because it does a hard cut, a smash cut to black with the end title card, RoboCop. It just goes to RoboCop. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's how you end a movie. Mm-hmm. That's how you do that. Such a great ending. I'm like, boom, you just, oh, because it ends with him, you know, uh, the old man saying, nice shooting, son. What's your name? Murphy. Great last line. Boom, right to RoboCop. Ugh, so great. So, Long story short, or long story long, my favorite scene, the scene that blew my skirt up is uh, RoboCop's official entrance. When he comes into the precinct, they've uh, shipped him over to the precinct in the van, 
and he comes out and you hear, you see Sergeant Reed. Uh, he's upset because uh, Bob Morton's come in with all these people and they're taking over the proceedings. He's like, you can't just come in here and do that. And he, just, he stops mid sentence because you hear part of the sound design is great. You hear the, like a low hum and you hear RoboCop's footsteps. The and he comes in and he's just behind that like partition and you can't really see him, but you can at the same time. It's just an awesome entrance stays with it's, it's stayed with me forever. I look forward to that entrance every time I watch this film and then it leads into some great stuff, but there's just a lot of subtlety in that the buildup to that is great because we all want to see the transformation. Mm-hmm. That's such a quintessential moment in the film when he becomes RoboCop. And then to not just throw it in our face, but to kind of slowly dole it out in, in subtle shots, different angles and hiding him a little bit from us. It's great because in that sequence, the literally Sergeant Reed, his mouth is like a gape. And then all the other cops like haul ass down the hallway, trying to see what he looks like. Yeah. And you're, you're just like one of them in the audience going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see him. What does he look like? What, what does he look like? And it's great, too, because they have that initial tease when he gets up and walks and they have the monitor there. Great call. Great and call, Bill. Yeah. I'll be honest. I didn't see that the first time I watched the movie. It was probably the second so, or third time I, I caught it. And I was like, oh, wait, you, you can see him down there in, in the monitor. It happens so fast. Exactly. So clever. It's so smart. Yeah. So it's cool. one of those you got to watch a couple of times and then, and then you catch it like, oh, OK, there's the first tease of it. And then it's just the back. And, and then, yeah, the tinted glass. It's amazing. And then just to go back, another another scene of extreme violence, the murdering of Clarence Boddicker, where he's got <laughs> yes. whatever. Why would they build something like that to protrude out your wrist to read computers is beyond me. But it certainly came in handy because it's amazing where because this is something you never saw either, too, where he, he literally hits him in the jugular. You mm-hmm. see him pull his arm down and then there's that split second and then a bucket of blood just jumps on robocop's oh. chest and then they Belly. and then they do the medium shot and you just see the spray just pouring out of his neck and you're just like holy crap oh yeah just seeing blood just drop like that i can't <laughs> you know it almost be like going back to the shining with Some the blood coming out of the elevators right, yeah <laughs> But yeah, you're yeah, just like serious bloodletting. I'm blood like that's, that's like half the blood in his body just came out in that one shot. That's why, yeah, I, I that's included in that steel mill uh, final action sequence for me. Yeah, absolutely, the knife to the throat, and also just before that, we think that the bad guys have gotten the best of RoboCop because Leon dropped all the the girders, basically oh, yeah. steel girders, on top of them. And there's Leon up there operating the machine, the crane or whatever. And he's like, yeah. And then Lewis uses one of the Cobra. Uh, oh, yeah. That and just blows him away. And there you go. It goes favorite. back to funny violence. It's like here, right. the guy gets totally blown away, but you laugh at it. Cause he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Great stuff. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. 
We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, should we move on to our next segment? Absolutely. All right. So this is our Swiss cheese segment. And Jason, why do we call it Swiss cheese? We call it Swiss cheese, Bill, because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. <sighs> and my, my first one um, that always drives me up the wall, and, and you mentioned the guns too, the, the Cobras that they're given to uh, track down RoboCop with. Those guys are the poorest shots in the steel mill. I'm like, they're point blank <laughs> range. And they just miss left and right. Oh, just, my God. Just the fact so you would badly. think, even the first time they whip out the guns, I'm thinking like the kickback on those guns. I'm like, there's no way you can handhold that. Uh, they it look been, so heavy. Exactly. Yeah. It would have been hilarious. if It's like when, taking the turret off a tank and holding yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. When they're first introduced, it would have been so funny to see Emil try to shoot it that first time in the sh- street and literally go down half the street itself. Every <laughs> the, the gun's bigger than he is. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that drove me up the wall, especially that one scene where he, you know, Robocop's like walking down the platform and Leon's right there with the gun and he misses him. And I'm like, I'm like, Stormtrooper. Worse than a Stormtrooper. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like Stormtrooper training right there. That. <laughs> That drove me up the wall. Trooper training. Uh, that's hilarious. And then that steel mills action sequence, you know, and one of the explosions, I guess Ray Wise got injured and he got paid extra. Um, really? Yeah. Something happened between with Kurtwood Smith and Ray Wise. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. That's a good hole, man. That's a good Swiss cheese hole right there. Uh, there, you know, those guns should, you should be able to, t- you could take out buildings with those things. How are you missing robocop and it's not like he's a small target you know mm-hmm. uh, so that's hilarious yeah i've got several holes um but you, well yeah why don't we go back and forth you do one i got a couple too absolutely so, so as much as i love at 209 some for me that's some and i watched this film and i was impressed about how about 80 to 85 percent of this really holds up visually mm-hmm. uh but the special effects regarding ed 209 some of them are, are pretty uh still a little they're a little grainy the stop motion isn't quite as fluid when you have you're putting uh human actors up uh against the the stop motion effects when you had like you had mentioned like the the actual life uh size or full scale ed 209 standing you know static or still that was incredibly realistic but as soon as it was moving behind dick jones or whatever it kind of took me out a little bit this time but i i got past that you know what i mean i mean it didn't but it's it's a whole that those effects don't hold up so well like when it falls down the stairs and you see the squealing that yeah. the squealing and you see robocop kind of in the foreground it's it's a little rough and you would think they would build a robot that would be able to walk downstairs or capable i'm like yeah they didn't think that one through your turn one it what one of your holes yeah, uh, one of the things that always bothered that didn't me. Sound right? I apologize. <laughs> Sorry. Um, one of the things that always bothered me too, and you know, we discussed how we we love Peter Weller's performance of when he goes back to his house and mm-hmm. just his, his move and stuff like that. I was just like, and they had the um, real estate video agent there, right? Yeah, but but then you kind of look through the house and how crappy looking it is. Like, okay, thank you. That's just questions I have. I think, but keep going. Yeah, it's almost like 
they kind of half hurried out because there's just pockets of like dirt and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, if I was buying a home and I walked in and saw that, thank you. I'm not going to buy the home. That's one of my holes. Why, why does it look like that? And why is it set up to sell the home? But you kind of see, you know, dead plants or one corner of the room has still old clothes in there. Like they, like they got up and ran almost like let's start cleaning. All right. So stop and let's get up and run. I was hoping that that would be question, you know, answered in some of the behind the scenes uh, research, because clearly this home is is has been prepared to be seen, to be shown, because you have the automated uh, like real estate agent, as you mentioned. Uh, however, when he's walking around, you see remnants of the family left behind. So you have, and they're burnt. You have it's They're clearly like I'm like, was there a fire? in this house. It's not just that they're dirty. You can see like photographs, they're charred. It's charred remains of whatever was in the house. How was that not cleaned out or cleared up? Right. Like what, how is like you said, why didn't they prepare if you, the home to be seen properly? It didn't make any sense whatsoever. And it, you know, uh, so that I was confused. It's like, what happened here? What happened in this house? You know, one of the weird, quirky things I have about this scene is too, when Peter Weller uh, or Robocop, I should say, Murphy gets upset because the, the memories are obviously emotional and they're jarring. And he's walking back through and he's about to leave and he punches a hole oh, in the uh, computer. I love monitor. his movement in that. Oh, the movement is fantastic. But I'm always like, I always feel like if he punched one of those screens, like the whole thing would blow up or there'd be... The hole that's rem- that is left behind always feels like it's so small. I'm like, I just think if he punched the computer, like the, he would punch like the entire the glass. Right, he would have knocked it across the room. Shattered. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like leaves a little hole in the corner of the. That's just a weird thing that I have. That's a good one. Yeah. What else you got? I'm going to stick with my my pal Ed 209 for the the demonstration when he shoots the holy hell. Speaking of holes. Out of poor Kenny, they keep cutting back to that. They, they, he lights him up. I mean, Kenny, like, and everybody's like screaming and yelling for help. But that's not my hole. My hole is, why was Ed Two Hundred Nine armed for the demonstration? Why I never was thought he of armed? that. Yeah, I never thought of that. Why would you have Two Hundred Nine for a demonstration? fully loaded <laughs> that's a good one that's i never thought about that i never thought Why about would you that even risk that what i'm going what you're putting everybody's life at risk if something goes wrong and it just would like you don't need to prove his they're not showing off his firepower the demonstration is just for to see when he's threatened how does ed 209 react jason jason there's just a glitch <laughs> Uh, dick. Um, <laughs> and for that matter, I didn't understand why, and I, I wasn't, maybe the magazine wasn't a full clip or whatever, but Kenny, you know, actually slaps the clip, the magazine into the Desert Eagle and points it at Ed 209. It was the same kind of thing. I'm like, why is there a loaded weapon in this room? Like, what? Why wouldn't you just point the gun? It could just, it could be an empty weapon. It doesn't have to be loaded. But I, that kind of, I bought that as if he's got to go through the motion of loading the weapon in front of him to be more threatening. Mm-hmm. Like showing, yes, this is an armed weapon. I'm pointing at this droid. But, 
anyway, I'm just like, why the hell was Ed 209 armed in the first place? That's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah. The one thing that I always found weird too is when Clarence goes to the OCP office and just freely walks up to Dick Jones' office, I'm like, in the beginning of the movie, there is a news clip that this is a wanted cop killer. He's 30, going into he's wanted a, in association with 31 police officer deaths. Right. Now he's walking in this huge corporate building, really walking. No one, no one recognizes him. Like he's right. very distinct looking. Yeah. Every company has uh, leaks. Face has so. been plastered all over the television. I'm, I'm sure there wasn't a little back entrance for him. I'm sure he just walked right through the lobby and went up there to Dick Jones' office. Someone didn't put one and one together at this point or rat him out. I mean, oh, okay. Guess what? Clarence and Dick Jones or, you know, or just the fact that Clarence Boddicker is in the building. Yeah. That, that somehow got to be on high out. alert, guys. Exactly. Somebody's got to be like, somebody called the cops. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good call, man. That's a good call. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So moving on. Um, here's one for you. So right before Murphy's death, when they are at the steam mill, which comes back at the, at the end of the film, but in that first sequence, the African American gangster gang member named Joe Cox uh, is caught uh, taking a piss. He's caught uh, mid piss, if you will, by uh, Ann Lewis. Officer Lewis, he uh, turns around, catches her off guard, knocks the gun out of her hand, and uh, basically either punches her, and she goes basically over the edge and falls unconscious. He later then joins the rest of the gang, and they're like, what happened to the other cop? And he says, she was sweet, so I took her out. Ha, ha, ha. And he has that crazy, like, uh, crazed laugh. Here's my question. Why didn't Joe really take her out like kill her what how does why did he leave her alive yeah i kind of thought about that too that's always kind of bothered me i'm like he kind of punches her and she falls over but she's not dead like because to follow that up with such this murderous rage like to just to brutally savagely kill alex murphy and then just kind of leave her unconscious as if that wouldn't come back to haunt them in some way it just seemed just leaving a loose end like that seemed rather odd to me yeah i was either he either thought she was dead or then they were going to go that back she died from the fall maybe yeah or they that wasn't like their hideout hideout so they weren't worried about them finding out i don't know yeah i, I kind of gave it some thought but i yeah i okay i couldn't i couldn't give you a good answer gotcha you got any others? No, that was that was my my big three. Plus, just the pig squealing thing just annoyed the crap out of me. With yeah, the, they had two and it. So I've got a few more for you. I'm going to roll right. through these. When uh, Robocop saves the woman from being raped by the two thugs in the alley, mm-hmm. uh, that woman's uh, clearly wearing a wig. It's just really, I don't know, that's just really obvious to me every time I see it. Oh, my God, I'm like, she's got, that's a horrible wig. So I also have... In the beginning, after Murphy's shot to hell, I mean, his body is riddled with shotgun shells and arm blown off, hand blown off, bullet to the head. How is he even close to being alive when they have him on the table? Yeah, um, uh, it's 
possible. <laughs> okay. Highly unlikely because just, depends on, I guess, where the bullet entered the skull. But right. yeah, when you see him take off and, and saw it where it hit and like, yeah, that he shouldn't have survived that. There's, I just, the fact that he has any brain activity whatsoever, I don't know. Maybe it's like, what was the Harrison Ford film that was later on? He gets shot in the head. Oh, uh, something, um, something Henry. Regarding Henry? Regarding Henry, yes. Yeah, maybe it was one of those. It was a regarding Henry situation. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so my other uh, hole I'm going to list off here is the worst special effect it's, it, which it's, is Dick Jones falling from the high rise at the very end of the film. Oh, yeah. When he falls out of that building. They show him falling. That special effect, it's as if it's a combination of he's a combo, a blend of Mr. Fantastic and Slender Man at the same time because his arms are longer than his body. They're like stretching out like one of those stretchy action figures you'd get as a kid. That yeah. You stretch them really out long. Like he's so disproportionate, but the funny thing is, is then I feel like they they fixed that later. Like they're diehard when they made that film. Like we can't we can't do like Dick Jones falling out of the high rise. We gotta yeah. we gotta do this right. That and was a horrible right. puppet. That was a horrible puppet. Yes, that was a horrible yeah. puppet. They they threw out that window. So when Alec Rickman and the stunt guy do uh, the falling out of the high rise at the end of Die Hard, they finally they 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 fixed that. I feel like yeah. So that's all I got for holes, man. Those are all my holes. Did you enjoy my holes, Bill? The ED209. Yeah, I never thought of that one. That's that's definitely my favorite one. <laughs> Why the fuck was I never would have thought of that, yeah. <laughs> Why use live ammunition? Yeah, oh, my great. God. Right all on. Right. You want to move on to the, uh, hey, it's that actor segment. Yep. Yeah, so our next segment is called, hey, it's that actor. So that's uh, we're going to spotlight an actor. Who's either a character actor or it's a actor who it's their first film and moved on to be famous or just a uncredited role um, that you didn't know about going into the film. Um, do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, I'm going to go real quick. Uh, speaking of uh, women I had a crush on as a teenager, uh, Lisa Gibbons is one of them. She is in the satirical news segments throughout RoboCop. And, of course, she was one of the uh, hosts of Entertainment Tonight since 1981. And uh, I always found her very attractive. She's hot. So uh, Lisa Gibbons is my, hey, it's that actor. All right. Uh, my, hey, it's that actor is uh, Scott Thompson. And Scott Thompson is literally in this film for about 15 seconds. He's the other um, thug with the fake blonde <laughs> hair wigged woman the pseudo rapist and uh scott thomas you would remember as copeland in the police academy series he was the one that always ended up in the gay bar uh, <laughs> was that is it the blue oyster bar is that what yes the blue oyster boy yes he would always yeah <laughs> that's an amazing poll man that's a great get right there and um, uh, he was also in a couple of other um, 80s movies, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Johnny Dangerously, and Ghoulies. So, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, Scott Thompson, that was my hey, it's that's that actor. awesome, Bill. That's freaking great. Copeland Police Academy. Yeah, <sighs> yeah that's, that's certainly a movie great. we got to do a, a, a future podcast on. <laughs> the blue, that's right. The blue Oyster Bar. <laughs> Yep. Uh, the fact that you pulled that one out—that's that's impressive. 
I always remember the music. You hear the door closing on. Dun, dun, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that's hilarious. Man, um, that that would be a great rewatch, Police Academy. Yeah. I always think of uh, who does uh, Michael, shoot, now I can't think of his name, but does all the, the great uh, sound effects. No. Winslow. Uh, Winslow. Michael Winslow. Winslow. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and then he was, that, of course he was in space. That was the scene yeah. he used to watch over and over again when they're in the cop car and he grabs it. Give me that! Oh yeah, uh, that cracked me up as a kid the first time I saw it. I watched that scene. He was over amazing and over again. Yes, as a kid he was. Oh man, I found that so entertaining. I wanted to see him in like every movie. Oh yeah, because I just thought that was so cool that he could do that with his voice. Oh yeah, because uh, they were realistic. Anyway, uh, you want to go on to. Uh, Fun facts and trivia. Yeah, fun Robocop. facts and trivia. Um, so fun facts and trivia. Uh, first thing, even though the movie uh, takes place in Detroit, uh, none of it was filmed in Detroit. It was filmed in Dallas, right. Pittsburgh, and uh, out here in uh, Long Beach, California. The precinct that was uh, used in the film, it was actually a um, high school. And the, um, the opening scene where they're in Murphy first comes in as Murphy was the uh, high school football locker that they used to, to shoot that scene in where they moved oh, the wow. nameplate and stuff like that. So yeah, that was all filmed in high school in, um, in Dallas. And then the steel mill stuff was all in Pittsburgh, but the death scene for Murphy was shot um, in Long Beach. Very cool. Yeah. Cause I was kind of curious about that too, because when they were doing the shots of the office building, so that's a real office building in Dallas because when I was, you, you could see behind them in the glass and the and I was like, that does not look like Detroit at all. I mean, I've been to Detroit right. a couple of times. I'm like, that's not Detroit at all. So I had to find out where they filmed that. And that, that was all in Dallas. And it was a yeah. corporate building they found and they were able to, I guess the top floor that they, they built all that there. Cool. Yeah. So the theatrical trailer, or at least the trailer that I, you know, that's on YouTube that you can watch for this. Uh, sorry, we had mentioned the, that's a great trailer, actually. And oh, yeah. uh, we had mentioned the soundtrack earlier, Basil uh, Paladoris, who's uh, famous for also uh, numerous other film soundtracks, orchestral soundtracks, Conan the Barbarian being my oh, favorite. Yes, uh, definitely. favorite of his, Anvil of Crom being one of the tracks. But uh, this soundtrack is amazing. And uh, funny enough, however, as you can read in the research, even Paul Verhoeven uh, credits a lot of the success of RoboCop to The Terminator uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So funny, the trailer for RoboCop features not Basil Paladoris' orchestra soundtrack, but the soundtrack from the original Terminator, the Terminator score, which is uh, composed by Brad Fidel. Oh, yeah. You hear that familiar... And the, uh, which is also a great score, though. So, Oh, yeah. When you hear that in the trailer for RoboCop, uh, it, it makes sense. It fits uh, very well, and uh, you you understand the connection there. A couple other quick things. The, there's a lot of stories surrounding the actual RoboCop suit that Peter felt, uh, Weller had to fit in. You'd mentioned earlier that, that uh, one of the reasons Peter Weller was cast was because of his size. Now, Peter Weller's not a small man. He's 5'10 and 3 quarters, 5'11". Uh, but because of his like athletic svelte built, if you will, or uh, fit build, he was able to fit in the suit. However, there were other casting uh, choices before Peter Weller. Speaking of the Terminator, uh, Lance Henriksen 
was one of the potential actors to portray RoboCop as well as Michael Ironside and Rutger Hauer. But Rutger Hauer also too large uh, to be in the suit. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has been thrown in there as a potential RoboCop too, but too big to fit into the suit. Yeah, they. Um, it was funny because they mentioned that in the DVD commentary, and they they were like, "Yeah, it would have been look like the Michelin Man if he had been in the suit." That's how big they wanted to make it, and they knew right away he was not uh, going to work as as RoboCop. So that's pretty funny. Yeah, and the suit itself that supposedly cost anywhere from five hundred thousand dollars to one million. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, one million dollars for the RoboCop suit, which is almost ten percent of the budget. Yeah. right That's there crazy. and that uh peter weller uh when he donned the suit supposedly lost approximately three pounds a day in water weight because he was sweating so much eventually they did uh install fans into the suit they originally were running some sort of ac from an external source but then installed a fan inside the suit to cool them down interesting fact the first scene that um, peter weller shot in the robocop suit suit was the scene where he goes out and, and snags the keys to go. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had so much trouble shooting that scene because the gloves were like a rubber and right. they would throw rubber the key and it kept bouncing off yeah. his hand. And it took him forever to, for them to figure out how he could catch it because he just couldn't close quick in time to, right. to catch the keys. And um, Paul Verhoeven said on the DVD, they, they stopped filming for a day. So, Weller could get reaccustomed to the suit because prior to this, when he was practicing, I guess he was using hockey equipment just to get through the bulkiness, but it wasn't the same as actually putting the suit on. So he had to almost retrain himself on how, how's how am I going to work with the, with this suit? So yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. Something as simple as just stories around that. Yeah. Yeah. Something as simple as trying to grab a pair of keys or set of keys. And uh, bottom line, there was a lot of issues with the suit. It starts with Rob Botton, the the designer, who is great. Uh, His, you know, design for this was amazing. But they had different. He was Rob Botton and uh, Paul Verhoeven were going back and forth on what this suit was supposed to look like, what RoboCop was supposed to look like. And finally, they they agreed on the suit. But when the suit took forever to put together and it got it was delayed. And then, like you said, he put on the suit. It didn't work the way they had planned on it working. And Peter Weller was working with a, uh, like a trainer, basically somebody who was working with him on the, it was a, a movement guy and they had to, Peter Weller had to adapt. And again, credit to Peter Weller, you know, uh, he figured it out, but things were delayed because of that suit. Yeah. And you uh, think about it too, uh, being as big and bulky as it is. And I don't know how much it, it weighed or stuff like that. I mean, the movement he was able to make in that suit is, is impressive. I mean, your visibility has got to be, you know, only at maybe half as it was without, without the helmet on and stuff like that. And just the performance he's able to pull out of that and consciously trying to move around. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Such a credit to him. Such a credit to him. Absolutely. And, uh, Peter Weller, one of his, uh, favorite days of shooting or sequences to shoot, was when he breaks into the cocaine warehouse laboratory and takes out all the baddies and captures Clarence Boddicker because 
while he was in the suit, he just got to uh, shoot guns all day uh, while listening to Peter Gabriel's Red Rain inside his helmet. That's an interesting choice for a song to listen to. During, I during love that, that song. Uh, I love that song, too, but I always like, listen to it in moments of angst, not when I'd be going around in a drug den shooting people. Right, I just, don't know. Maybe it calms yeah. them down. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, certainly uh, an interesting choice. So just on the subject of Peter Weller in the suit, he couldn't fit in the police car wearing the entire suit. So they had to remove the lower half of the suit. So he just wore the upper half, including obviously the face, the, uh, the helmet, the head piece. Uh, but he was sitting in his underwear in the scene. So they had to shoot around it. And that's why and cut around it. So that to give the, uh, you know, uh, visual the, or the idea that yeah. he was yeah, thank you impression that he was still wearing the whole suit whenever he exited the vehicle they focused on his uh, foot and calf slash leg exiting the vehicle first so that you would assume or have that impression that he was wearing the entire suit while inside the car yeah but and they use that really well three times the gas station scene where he gets out um, when he pulls up to the mayor's office and then mm-hmm. um, when he pulls up to um, OCP at the end so yeah, they 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 really fool you how they cut around on that too because I I did read that and then I was really watching to see how they did it and I was like oh yeah three three awesome examples of yeah how how, how they make you believe good. oh totally I never questioned it and then yeah Edward Newmeyer and Michael Miner are the writers on this film Edward Newmeyer had gotten uh, kind of one of some of the one of the, part of the inspiration let's just put it that way of of this story came from. Blade Runner doing the opposite because in Blade Runner you have a human cop hunting quote unquote replicants or robots and he flipped the script and basically was like how about a cyborg cop a robot cop hunting humans and was inspired and developed this concept and I guess they pitched it to a, a high up uh, exec in an airport but also did you have any other thing I have a couple other uh, fun facts yeah one of I just have uh, one more because it, it ties in perfectly it. with the with the writer um, because yeah. it found out from him is the trauma team that was used in RoboCop when they're taking Peter Weller to uh, the hospital is was a real trauma team from Dallas and ah. they just said just do what you do and we're just going to film it and the writer was just like he's like i definitely couldn't have written it any better than what they were going to do so that was technically all in a way improvised but real you know so that was yeah they were all real trauma doctors it's interesting for two different reasons that's interesting you bring it up because i actually originally had that as one of my holes because none of them are wearing masks through that sequence and maybe it's just a sign of the time maybe i'm just like because we're all wearing masks presently Mm -hmm. uh i would just think that as doctors nurses they would be wearing masks but outside of that it actually is an excellent sequence and i remember watching it going wow they really sound like doctors like this all sounds like this is what they would say so that totally makes sense that now you tell they were actually going through the sequence as if it were an actual case yeah an actual emergency because it i totally buy it like there sometimes you can really tell in fit movies you know when they're doing it you know, an emergency, you know, sequence. And you're like, oh, they're just going through the motions here. They're just saying the generic things. It did feel real. Anyway, what was the box office like for this thing? 
Yeah, so um, the movie was released in the summer of 87, uh, July 17th to be exact. Um, as we mentioned earlier, the, the um, a budget for the film was um, somewhere between 10 to $13 million. And, oh, that actually goes back to another fun fact, because I think the movie was originally budgeted at 10, and Paul Verhoeven knew he was not going to be able to finish that movie and that budget, so they purposely held off the Peter Weller death scene. Right. So when they ran out of money, he went back to the studio. He's like, um, I still have to film the most important scene of the movie. So you got to you gotta put up some more money to get this done. So uh, they, had to, they had to get the money. Right, because they initially, sh- the, I think the principal shooting was from August to November in 86. They went back in January of 87 to, re- to uh Right, to shoot so that. that's why, yeah, that takes place um out in Long Beach instead of there in uh, Pittsburgh with the, with the rest of it. Makes sense. There you go. So yeah, when the movie was released, um, it was number two, the initial week um, made $12.3 million lost out to a re-release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was number one that week, but it did end up totaling. Wow. Um, it was a modest hit, uh, $53.4 million. So again, yeah, it, it did very well as you know, they did make uh, two sequels. You know where it made its money it, no surprise. Oh the yeah, video rental. It made twenty four million mm-hmm. in VH, like the rentals, because it was kids like you and me, man. People like people ran out and rented this thing because they were so curious as to see what the hubbub was about, with the violence, etc. Exactly. Uh, I, I that's my theory at least, but I think that I mean, there's no surprise it to me at all that it made such so much money yeah and then um siskel and ebert uh you know if you were a kid of the 80s every saturday you would watch their half hour show either sneak previews or at the movies and that's really where you got your first clips of, of some of these films besides trailers um both of them gave this two enthusiastic thumbs up uh they really loved it they thought it was smart they thought it was funny they thought the performances were great they gave it a uh, two thumbs up we're moving into our final segment here. What are your What are your closing thoughts here, Bill, on RoboCop 1987? The, the movie definitely stands the test of time outside of you know some of the the ED two two oh nine stop motion effects. But yeah, if you have not seen this movie, I would highly recommend it. But like I said, this is definitely not for younger than fifteen. It is violent. It is bloody. Um, but it is great performances. It is a great story. It is a fun watch, but yeah, it really sticks with you. Um, just because at that time we had really not seen violence like this portrayed on film in in a science fiction setting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I can't uh, recommend it more than enough. And then even the, even the second one, like the first, I remember the first time I saw it, I did see it in the theater and I was kind of, eh, but it has grown on me a little bit. It's, 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 sure. a, it's a, yeah, like it's, it's, one. it's a good uh, sequel. Yeah. It's yeah. more satirical than this one is. Um, it seems like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they play that up way up, more, sure. um, in the second one, but, um, yeah, I would, I would recommend the first two. Um, yeah. Stay away from three, stay away from the remake. Yeah. You can just stop yeah, there. Just pretend yeah. the rest didn't happen. Jason yourself. Yeah, and just on that note, too, that supposedly they are going to do a reboot, or not, I shouldn't say reboot, but a, another sequel, but uh, without uh, any regard or, or pretending as if none of the previous sequels or offshoots exist. Uh, that's the word on the street, at least. Just going based on Robocop 1. 
this original. Yeah, I'm not surprised because if you can do it right, yeah, it it would be good. And you know what my other thought was too today, Bill, is that Peter Weller could very well easily still do this. Granted, he's seventy, you know, seventy years old, but he's still got the jawline. They don't need him. And, to look. and that's a crazy thing you told me with him being forty. Yeah, this is going to be one of my yeah, final. Exactly. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Peter Weller is forty I in this movie. When you told me that, I'm just like, oh my god, what what is his skin treatment? His face is flawless. What's exactly, his he is flawless looking in that. His complexion. I I I'm watching it going. This dude's not a day over thirty. Exactly. No way. I can't believe he's 40. Yeah. Hey, man, I, I couldn't agree more with your final thoughts. Uh, really well said, Bill Bant. Uh, it just, uh, this film still resonates with me. I think it holds up incredibly. Uh, it You nailed it when you said it was a fun watch. That's exactly what it is. It's so much fun. It's on so many different levels. It's such a great blend. It has a satirical aspect. It has a social commentary aspect. It actually predicts the future in some ways. That was a little fun fact I, I didn't mention is that, yes, in the future, Detroit actually does go bankrupt. That actually happened to like 27 years later. So there is some decent social commentary. Uh, there's a transhumanism uh, commentary in here. There's, it's got action, the sci-fi aspects, uh, the design. Can't talk enough about the sound design. No wonder it won the, the, the Oscar and that category because there's so many subtle things regarding sound in this film that enhance all of RoboCop's movements, the, whether it be gunfire or just uh, additional things in the soundtrack that Basil Pelodorus did with the music. Uh, again, the combination of man and machine. So you have synthesizer and you have horns and a really robust soundtrack. And I'm just going to, you know, another, just take a moment with that soundtrack because that's this is in the eighties when a lot of films have very thematic soundtracks. And I miss that today. I miss it so much. And that theme, it's so holds up. It's one of the best theme songs. You can't help. Dude. I I was telling you this when, when I was prepping for this podcast a week ago, I was driving around listening to the soundtrack on YouTube and I was like, this is dangerous. I'm going to, I'm, I'm speeding. I want to, I want to like dart in and out of like different vehicles and tell people to, you know, just pull over. And I want to get out of my car and act like RoboCop. And it's like this soundtrack gets you charged up. This music is amazing. So to all of you though out there, I recommend the soundtrack, listen to the soundtrack and a couple of tracks on the soundtrack. I recommend one being Clarence Frags Bob. It's a great buildup. But the other one, if you just want to get all jacked up, is called uh, Van Chase. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. That's it, yeah. This film had a weird subconscious influence on the short film that I produced, that you helped me produce, that Marwan directed, called Laser Town. Uh, I'm watching this film, and there's the brief uh, memories of Alex Murphy's son uh, watching TJ Laser. It's funny how this film just has a weird... Had had a weird influence on me subconsciously because I didn't even think about it when I was making Laser Town uh, with you guys, and then all of a sudden I'm looking back at this film, going, "Oh my god, I'm totally stealing from this." And even RoboCop's gun, the Auto Nine, I actually had bought a cap gun and spray painted it black because it looked similar to RoboCop's gun. And then years later, used that very cap gun as 
the prop gun in Laser Town, the short film. So another RoboCop influence on uh, me. And uh, this film is really quotable. Oh yeah, man. Uh, that's this like between the uh, obviously. I'll buy know, that uh, for a dollar. We didn't even talk about that. I know that was and that, that was and, just, and yeah, that's kind of funny too. Um, I used to say that all the time because. I thought that was in the movie so much more that that guy and mm-hmm. it, it really isn't. It's only in maybe three or four times, but it seems like it's almost in every scene, but it's not. But you, but you can't forget yeah. that line. I'll buy that for a dollar. But yeah, between that um, dead or alive, you're coming oh, with yeah. me or uh, come quietly or there will be trouble. Uh, and then of course, when he says Murphy, his name at the end, Murphy. Uh, but this is a, a really quotable film. And uh, that's all I got for my final, my final thoughts. Uh, otherwise, again, as I highly recommend this film. If you're a sci-fi fan, if you're uh, a fan of cop movies, if you're a fan of action thriller films, this has a really cool blend of, of all of it, uh, dystopian future and uh, Robocop is uh, he's the man. And uh, this is what I was going to end up end on here. Bill band is a question for yeah. you. What's your favorite Paul Verhoeven directed Ooh, film? Because I know you and I, we're fans. We're yeah, fans. I think I. Because you've got. Uh, we'll go down. Right, well, let's go down the list. list. We've got Robocop, mm-hmm. Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Showgirls, Starship Troopers, followed by Hollow Man. And this is all within like a 10 year period. Paul Verhoeven. Had a serious yeah. run in a short yeah, period he had a of time. Touch yeah. there for a while. Um, These are his American films. Now he's done a lot of foreign films. He's Dutch, correct? Yeah, I believe that's yeah. But this was his American film run. Basically, there was one before RoboCop that he had done, uh, but he's RoboCop is kind of known as his like breakout. American I think I film. give Total Recall a slight edge. Yeah, very, yeah. very slight. I mean, watching this again, I'm almost kind of like leaning a more towards RoboCop. Mm-hmm. But no, it's, I, I think I'm, I'm sticking with uh, Total Recall. I can't blame you. I cannot blame you. I'm a big Total Recall fan. Uh, that was an influential film uh, for me, just being a sci-fi fan. I think I'm just biased because, yeah, like I said, I just, you know, having watched RoboCop again, I'm going RoboCop. I have to. That's my favorite because I, I this this movie just affects me, man, on a lot of different levels. When I watched it by myself, kind of in actually, I was in my car, but it felt like a darkened <laughs> movie theater. Just watching on my laptop with, with my noise canceling earphones on, and I'm soaking up all the the sound design. Um, it's just cool. It looks great. It's so it's shot well, like I said, just acted well. The music's fantastic. Oh, by the way, speaking of acting, I'd be remiss not to mention Miguel Ferrer as Bob Morton. He's excellent in this as well, and just kind of balances out there. Like he's right in between the bad guys and yeah. the good guys. And there's a bit about why he was cast because he brings a certain charisma. We know he's a bad guy. You know, he's a he's a he's the bad guy you root. He's for, in though. it for the money. He's a yeah, yeah. But I'm watching this movie going, 
there's so many great things about it and it just there's some nostalgia attached to it i admit so i'm going to you know i'm biased in that way i wanted to be robocop as a kid uh i imitated him i made the sound effects i talked like him i wanted the gun i wanted to you know he's just an all-around badass and this movie is just 100 percent badass and so i yeah I'm going with RoboCop, my favorite Paul Farrell movie. All right. So I think that uh, about wraps it up for uh, our first podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your uh, questions, comments, feedback, or recipes to share. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast. And join us again next week as we take a look at the 1984 Romancing the Stone, starring Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. Have a great night, everyone. Good night, world.